welcome to Fandom Media. All right, it is episode 20, a miniature milestone for us. We've been doing this for about three whole months now. <laughs> Exciting. Thanks to everyone who's been with us so far. To celebrate our 20th episode, why don't you help us out by giving us a rating or a review? It really helps get us noticed, gets the word out there, and hey, we appreciate it. Continuing with our Legion coverage, it is episode 6 time. The season only has 8 episodes, so we're getting close to the end. I'd say one of the cool things that's happening here is they're showing us some new things that are still very out there. It's still kind of confusing. There's still a lot to figure out, but we're kind of used to some of it. We've had five episodes to kind of get our bearings, and so this episode, I think there's it's easier to kind of follow along what's happening. And I really appreciate that, that we're in the flow with it, and we can kind of catch these things as we go rather than having to stop and really think about what's going on. It's like, what are they telling us here? It's a little easier to follow along. I'd say we have our bearings. One thing I like about shows... A lot of my favorite shows, what they do is they have really well-defined characters, and then they get put into different scenarios, and you see how they play out in different scenarios. Now, sometimes the different scenarios are family members from out of town, or there's a new boss, or something like that. The scenarios here are much more radical, (laughs) (laughs) but it is neat to see these defined characters go through these new scenarios each week. Narrative. Here we have... Basically a bottle episode. There are scenes not set in clockwork, so it isn't quite one. And we start here with a really interesting interview sequence where Lenny talks to all of the main characters that are in Clockworks now. Yeah, this was a really cool way to do it. We didn't know what we were seeing at first. It was really hilarious to seeing her having therapy sessions with Melanie, and then all of a sudden it's Patonomy, and then it just keeps switching, and each one moves to the next one seamlessly. It's great. Yeah, each transition can apply to the prior and subsequent interviewees. So we're going to go through those all in order before we get to the bulk of the episode. So it starts with Melanie. And I want to give a shout out to Jean Smart here for some great acting and for the writers for giving her some really good material to be really, really different from how she normally is in the show, which is very put together and stylish. And instead, she's in her... Fantasyland. I'd say all the characters were different in this episode in terms of that, what you're saying, but I think Melanie was probably the most different. And because she didn't have, like, she was the most out of sorts. Maybe it's because she doesn't have powers, or maybe it's just because she was thinking about her husband and having the dreams about him. Who knows? But I'd say it seemed to impact her the most, and definitely agree with you. Her acting was really fantastic. So credit to the costume and makeup also. The characters were a little bit more disheveled for normal. You know, they're not, like, presenting themselves professionally to the world. They're in this mental institution, so autonomy's beard's growing out a little bit, and so on. So Yeah, they have no one to look good for. They're just there. Yeah. <laughs> Good question there. Transitional question is Melanie Frozen, which was also asked the patonomy in a sense. And, and he talks yeah. about being kind of a time traveler in a sense, which is neat. Yeah, we have the transition between Melanie and patonomy, which could apply to either is, but you see it, right? How you're the one who's frozen? Tell me about your mother. And so you think originally that she's just talking to Melanie, but no, she's talking to patonomy, or is she? Yeah, it's interesting to think about the answer to the question for both characters. Yeah, in a sense, she's right. The devil is messing with them, but she's raising poignant questions. She's doing it really effectively, like getting them to think, which I think is keeping them in this sort of sedated state. It's what, you know, it's it's what's happening. They're, she's trying to keep them all there and keep them happy and, and not fight against their, their situation. It's kind of like the Matrix, where they're all being milked for something and they're not aware of it. It seems like... Dr. Busker is willing to play with fire, too. It seems like some of the questions, she's almost, like, toying with them. You know, like, don't you see you're the one that's frozen? It seems like, you know, especially at this moment, she's the one that's got them frozen, if you will, in clockworks, and she still is, like, prodding these questions. Regardless, so it's neat to think about how maybe autonomy is trapped in the past. His memories are so clear, and he experiences them so thoroughly, it's almost like he's stuck with them in the past. And how Melanie is also stuck on Oliver being lost to her. She's trying to get back to him from this moment in the past. When she points out, Does, do you see how crazy this sounds? Yeah. <laughs> that he's you know, in a room, in a diver's suit, <laughs> he's frozen. Like, Do you see how crazy that sounds? Like, yeah, that does sound kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. We see his actual memories here, which I thought was a great choice to flash back to him under the table while his mother was doing the dishes. And later, of course, we see him in place of his child self, which was 
Awesome. Yeah, I really like that because I just mentioned last episode that we he was the one whose background we seem to know the least about. And here we go. We get a little more. It was almost like on cue. They realized they hadn't given that yet, and they filled in, filled in some pretty major details here. And then the transition that we have between Potomomy and Carrie and Carrie is, you see how unhealthy that is? This attachment between you, which works for both Potomomy and Carrie and Carrie yet again. Yeah. And it really works for Melanie, too. Yeah, it was really hilarious here, too. They just have all these kind of questions like, well, who are we hurting? That's what I want to know. Yeah. You know, it was really good just their, like, defense of their situation. Yeah, they're uh, finishing each other's sentences. And... <laughs> A moment that made me laugh out loud hysterically was this next transition. I'm sensing a lot of hostility, which, of course, at first seems it's directed at Carrie and Carrie, but then we see that it's the eye standing there, and he just kind of shrugs, and it's like hostility from him. That is just so funny. <laughs> yeah, that one was really good, but we also got a good bit of insight into the eye himself when Lenny talks about his issues with maturing late, and we're going to talk a little bit more about his past and potential relationship with Carrie uh, later in the episode when we get to their scenes. The next transition is seemingly directed at the eye. You feel isolated by the world, but it's not the world isolating you. It's you. Which is true for Sydney as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so then we go to Sydney. Now, there's something I observed about all these transition questions or comments that Dr. Busker is making to each character, which seems to apply to the next <laughs> oh, one. We're just gawking Dr. Busker <laughs> now. <laughs> these questions all apply to David as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it goes back to wondering, you know, on what level these characters are just different manifestations of aspects of David's personality. Yeah, just like the powers seem to match, the questions all kind of work in that regard as well. However, we don't see a David session until later in the episode. They didn't make that part of the sequence. And also worth noting. Peculiar. Very interesting. (laughs) In Sydney's session here, we see that she feels like something is up and like this is a boring dream where you're folding laundry, which... It is. <laughs> and when she leaves, we see this bedroom door that we saw, of course, in David's house back in the last episode. And she hears this faint electronic music that she thinks is someone banging on the door trying to get out, but sounds like electronic music. I thought it sounded like rock music. I wasn't uh, sure if it was electronic music or some kind of music. I tend yeah. to think it's electronic because Lenny later was, of course, dancing to bass Yeah, actor. Yeah, that's true. And then later we see that David sees the same door when Sid is behind it. And he hears the cricket music, and of course, that is interrupted by Amy. But before Sid can investigate the door, she gets called to take her meds and runs into Amy, who we were wondering about last week. And in this scenario, she's a nurse, and she's mean. She's mean to David, she's mean to Sid, she's just mean. And I don't, this is one of the things that I find more peculiar. She studied under Nurse Ratched. <laughs> I'm on floor of the cuckoo's nest. That's what it is. But yeah, she is really awful. She won't let him eat the pie, and she distracts him from the door by pretending to vomit at the thought of him and saying maybe some of his deepest fears. But I also wanted to mention that this is a funny, like, inverse of her wanting to give him the cake in the first episode and mm. not being allowed to, and that he's allowed to eat the pie in this episode, but she won't let him. It's opposite day. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I think there's a couple different ways that you could theorize based on this. The one that I prefer is the idea that the devil is acting through people in this space, you know, influencing them, which would make sense why she is the one distracting people from this and why she's being so mean. So I think that that might be the case, and we see that again with Potomomy, for example, taking the place of Lenny or the devil. By having Amy be so mean to him, it keeps his self-esteem down. You know, it's like his own, his clo- the person closest to him in the world is hammering away at him, and maybe that takes away his will to, to fight. He, he, he talks about how comfortable he is there and how he could live there forever, and, you know, Sid is just really turned off by that idea. But it goes to show that the devil's plan is kind of working, at least on David, not on everybody else necessarily. Yeah. The other theory that I think is possible that is kind of the exact opposite of the idea that the devil is making Amy be mean like this is the idea that Amy is somehow being mean like this because it'll push David out of knowing that this is normal because it Uh, it will seem so weird to him to have her being so mean to him. That makes some sense, yeah. So Potomomy here, he's in the exact same scene that Lenny was in talking about Clonopin, staring at a catatonic man, this time it's Rudy, in a wheelchair, and they're talking a lot about the idea of identity and who people were before. 
And Ptolemy notably says that there was no before once the sickness starts, which is a pretty dark thing to say, and David kind of mirrors that later when he wants to just stay there, and it makes me think of Ptolemy as negatively influencing him, so it makes me suspicious of how much the devil is influencing everyone else in there. It's also maybe a similar role that Lenny had when we go back to the beginning her kind of on his shoulder all the time might have been a negative influence on him, going to get heroin or drug, you know, vape or whatever it was they were doing, yeah. Maybe now yeah. it's Batonomy because perhaps the devil perceives Batonomy as a more trusted figure in David's mind for some reason. Maybe that's why it's him in that role. I was wondering about that because Batonomy is the one who is supposed to be the memory expert. And he's the one that tells us that, you know, nothing, basically nothing is before the sickness. You know, he's the guy that's kind of laying it. So he's the one who's supposed to be an expert on these things. So coming from him, that means a lot. Just like coming from Amy, the meanness means a lot. Also, David calls him Paul, which we, you know, we noted that his name was Paul earlier in the season. Melanie called him Paul one time, right? And now we have that name come again. There's no mention of the name Patonomy at all in this episode. Not that he's referred to multiple times in general, but the only time he's referred to, it's Paul. So here we have his original name again. And that relates to the idea of identity, who they were before, which of course we're talking about, Ptolemy again, says there was no before. So that's all being clouded. It all kind of speaks to perhaps the dance scene that's really big in this episode. Maybe there, we're supposed to get the impression that something similar has been done to these other characters as far as their memories being trashed. If they're even all real people and not just part of David. Yeah. But that's, that's a whole other topic. Another interesting thing that they talk about here is dogs. David, you know, says that he might have loved dogs. Tonomy says everyone loves dogs. And David says, I don't. Yeah, that was very peculiar. Okay, what about King, man? Well, we know King wasn't real, but maybe now he doesn't like King because he found out King was really the devil. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, dogs, I don't like dogs. They turn out to be devils. There's a lot of really interesting similarities and differences to episode one in particular in this episode, from obviously David not liking dogs to when he talks about how he's found this sense of peace, he's painting Sid like she was drawing him in the first episode. Also, as an aside, I think it's a funny little shot. Um, One of the times when he's painting her, she has a milky white eye. Yeah, like the painting's not complete, and the part that's not is her eye. It's very distinct. Yeah, they they really want to draw our our attention to that. So another juxtaposition that we see is in the first episode, Sid coming to David's room. Now we see David coming to Sid's room. Where they share the bed and and put the little divider in there. Complete with no visible feet. Yeah, both times the door opens, you can't see the feet. It's really interesting. It's like they want to make sure that we see it. Yeah. 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 Fandomedia.reviews. They also have a really great conversation here where they talk about mental illness and kind of the conversation that David had with Patonomy is mirrored where he just imagines living here forever and is happy with that at this point. And... As we later learn, David thinks he's bipolar, and he thinks Sid is delusional. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they're, that's part of the confusion that I guess the devil has worked on them, is throwing them off as to what their exact diagnoses really are. It's, it's very interesting, this scene. It's a little confusing, but even without understanding the specific details, I think the gist comes through pretty clearly that things are off. You know, it's just more of that. And and this is a particularly interesting way for things to be off because there are already patients in a mental hospital. But now there's confusion as to why they're even there, which already existed for Sid. She's already confused about the whole thing. She already feels like the whole folding laundry thing. She feels like something is off. And that by itself is huge. I thought maybe, like I said before, Katami being the memory guy, you would think maybe he's the one to kind of feel like something is wrong here. But let's remember that Sid in the original scenes at Clockworks in the first episode, she's the one that supposedly is talking to David through his mind, the one that's reaching out to him, the one that told him when to go underwater, when to when they were going to make their move to rescue him. You know, obviously we're assuming all that is actually what happened, but it's what was presented to us. And now here we are again, Sid's the one that's realizing something is off, and I think that's really interesting that it's her. I think it makes some sense. She's been in Clockworks before. She's had memories to do with Lenny in particular. When you kill someone and put their body into a wall, (laughs) that'll probably stick with you. I only remember two or three times that I did that. (laughs) Yeah, and you've done it at least five. Yeah. I'm always having to remind you of the people you've killed. (laughs) Also, though, with Sid... She has experience being in other bodies. She has experience with that sort of 
whatever you want to call it. Like she says, who's going there to guide you when you're unique? That's, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but she actually has been in other people's bodies and probably has experienced that disorientation of being like, who am I? Where am I? What is going on? She might have more sense of that, of fighting against that haze. That might be why it doesn't work as well on her. I'm just guessing. (laughs) She's also been taken into the astral plane by David before too, whereas the others, as far as I know, haven't been. So Until now. Yeah. Until later in the episode. Right. Good point. One of the interesting scenes in the episode was this pie-eating sequence that we touched on earlier where originally David doesn't remember that Sid doesn't like pie and she even says, I know you love that, which implies that she remembers that she told him this or that she has some feeling that she's told him this. And then later she actually starts eating her pie even though she doesn't like pie as if it's kind of started to work on her a little bit, but she still sees the bugs in the pie, which shows that the devil's powers haven't completely sunk in on her. Yeah, it's really interesting, the, the idea that these things aren't perfect, that, that there's cracks in this illusion, and that's what we're seeing here. And so it goes from this pie scene into the pie where we see Lenny and into the most amazing sequence of the episode to me, (laughs) which was the Lenny dance sequence to a bass nectar song. And in it, she's just basically partying and trashing David's memories, which makes me wonder whether she's done this before, whether she just like resets every so often David gets closer to figuring out what's what and she resets and re-trashes all of his memories yeah, you see her dancing through the different dreamscapes that he's had in the past. All the, like, the, the kitchen and the bedroom and all these different things that we've seen in his memories many times. Summerland. Some, there were some newer and some older memories. That's true. You're right. And I thought this is another thing that's interesting about this, just as an aside, is that we pointed out early on in our beginning coverage of Legion that the part of Lenny slash Benny was originally a male character. And Aubrey Plaza was like, yeah, I'll do it. Just leave everything the way it is, basically. Clearly, they didn't leave everything the way it was. <laughs> this scene was not written for a man. No. It was, I could have, I could have pulled it off. <laughs> I don't, we don't want you to pull it off. You know what I really want to see later is a scene with, you know, the actual devil, with how he looks, but in the outfit Aubrey was in, dancing, <laughs> with the legs, you know, and the fishnets. I would love to see that. He could pull that off, You'd too. love to see that? I really would. Because otherwise, it's kind of just tits and ass, you know, here. Like, they didn't write this for a man. They did it because Aubrey Plaza was hot as hell. Yes. But, and I don't mind because I love the sequence, but I would love it even more if we see what was really going on there. <laughs> it's that big, huge necked thing doing yes. all those moves, just picturing that. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so after this sequence, Lenny leaves and she passes Sid asleep and she, you know, blows her a little kiss. And I really wanted to point out the colors in this shot which is that there's these blue walls and we see a lot of blue colors for Sid scenes in general and then there's the yellow lighting for Lenny the devil with yellow eyes Mm -hmm. which I just thought was perfect framing and everything like that so it seems like Sid is dreaming and in this sort of made-up world her dreams are about the real world and so that prompts her to go ask the other people hey what are your dreams like yeah, and Carrie says that he's dreaming about an ice cube. Female Carrie's dreaming about 20,000 leagues under the sea. Oliver Anthony Bird is reaching out to save them, I suppose. He's coming back from the astral plane, sort of like Melanie said, and he's as important as anyone here to the rescue, perhaps the most important. He's digging them out of this dream state somehow. And, and I wonder if his insistence on quiet or his inability to be anything other than quiet is necessary to not setting anything off. We see the devil's eyes appear in that one scene. Well, we assume they're the devil's eyes. The huge eyeballs kind of appear like they're watching. It was really creepy. And, and they're wonder, brown like Aubrey's. Yeah, and you yeah, wonder maybe that's a... That's why he has to be kind of sneaky, because she's constantly watching. If I remember right, the scene cut from those eyes on a wall to Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, I think you're right. David? And so Melanie has another one of the funniest lines in the episode, which is... Love. That's what she's dreaming of. Like, okay, Melanie. Well, she's seeing her husband. That kind of works, right? And yeah. Later, she we actually see what she sees, and it's definitely him. And like Sean mentioned, Sid is dreaming of reality. And she describes it in a really interesting way that kind of could apply to the show as a whole, potentially, if you are believing those types of theories, which she says, I'm in a room that's not a room full of people I can't see, and there's this feeling like we're already dead. We just don't know it. 
That's creepy, by the way, because we've certainly talked about the possibility that they aren't real or that they're all dead and that they're in David's head or something mm-hmm. like that. And they're openly speaking of the possibility out loud. Like, these theories are being spoken to by the characters. Being in a room that's not a room would be like being in David's head. And yeah. Being dead but not realizing it would be like their personas have been absorbed by him and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Melanie there is dreaming about love, like we mentioned, and feeding someone that isn't there in that pie scene in the background. She is just feeding no one. And we also see her tending some cool little fast-growing plants at a little mini grave, which was a magical, supernatural thing going on. Yeah, that was really peculiar, uh, but also very cool. When she finally sees her husband, she understands, as she says, and follows him. And then he leads her back to reality, which may or may not be reality, but leads her to where they were just before they are moved to clockworks. I'll say moved, (laughs) because I don't really know the mechanism (laughs) here. And she sees the spinning bullets, and he's trying to guide her and tell her what to do. She's not exactly clear on what to do, but it's on, on some level... Well, yes, don't let those bullets hit them seems kind of straightforward, but she's kind of powerless. She doesn't know exactly what to do. She can't stop the bullets with her fingers. She can't push them out of the way. And then the eyes appear, the devil's eyes appear, or Aubrey Plaza's eyes appear, and the scene ends. So she's not sure what to do, but I think that's that's going to be resolved, I have a feeling, that she's going to figure out what to do. It seemed like she was stepping in front of the bullet to me there, and... I also wondered why she she should have tried at least a few other things to move them. Just, <laughs> yeah. just saying. Or move something else in the way, but if she couldn't push even, she couldn't seem to even budge them, you know. Yeah, I still would have tried an inanimate object. I would have. Move but something else in between them instead of instead her. Of her body, instead yeah. of her. But uh, it seems like that is what she's doing, whether this is actually what was going on there or whether she's being transported to a memory within David's head, potentially, and not to the actual occurrence. I don't know. Yeah, this is where it we don't really have our bearings. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. <laughs> of course, Carrie and Carrie, before we see Melanie see this vision, they were talking about seeing these visions, and they didn't fully process it. But we also see it come to fruition for male Carrie. He is taken away by Oliver and follows him. And unfortunately for female Carrie, the timing of that's a little off. <laughs> and she's like, where the hell did he go? And the eye shows up to menace her. And that's kind of a creepy little sequence there as he's following her around. It was interesting to me how Carrie seemed to still have her, I'm going to say, physical capabilities. There was a moment when male Carrie surprised her. She's like instant, grabbed him, shoulder. He's like, martial oh, arts move yeah. on him. Yeah. What a good fake but, out there, by the way. That yeah. was good, yeah. But on the other hand, it seemed like she was so scared and timid around the eye. Usually her character is pretty bold and aggressive, but she was like just totally out of sorts. You know, I, I don't know if the eye was that menacing to her or if something about her character is off or she feels that disconnected from the other Carrie, but she was really, I feel like, not herself in that moment. Yeah, I think it is really, really interesting that female Carrie is using male Carrie for protection here. But it is the exact opposite in reality. She is the muscle in reality. So whether that's the devil screwing with him, or again, like you mentioned, that she's out of sorts because she's out of Carrie. And an important transitional moment there, visually, is when Carrie, male Carrie, is in his vision, in the astral plane, his injuries reappear. He doesn't have them in the clockwork's place. (laughs) I'm losing my ability to describe these things Mm -hmm. as the right (laughs) adjectives for these locations. It is sort of a reminder of what's quote-unquote real, though, seeing him have those injuries again. And seeing Melanie turn back to stylish Melanie and him in his suit. It's funny that that's the scene where it seems real when he's (laughs) standing in this floating false sea thing with trees in it. Yeah, Yeah. that's the real thing. With this guy in a diving suit (laughs) egging him on. But so back to reality and clockworks with Carrie and Carrie. We get a lot of great scenes with them before we get into the eye stuff. Little funny things with them like throwing food into each other's mouths or male Carrie doing his stretches and saying namaste. (laughs) Yeah, and their little door knock or their wall knocking. Yeah, just little cute things. I really never thought I would be this invested or into a relationship like this. So this older white man and this younger Native American girl who lives inside him. Yeah, it's just so unsexual. Like for it's 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 get it's become less creepy because you see that their relationship is very like familial. Yes. It's very un 
it's it, on the surface because of our own societal you know leanings it seems creepy but the more we see it it's like okay it, exactly it's, it's innocent yeah <laughs> we see a kind of game that they're playing when they're playing checkers they're listing pills for fun <laughs> and it culminates in the punchline of joking about what pills Sydney should take when she talks about a door being missing. You know? Clozapine. <laughs> <laughs> Effects are in large doses. <laughs> but Carrie, of course, does have explanations for this. He has three explanations for why the door could be gone. Two have to do with, you know, science stuff, alternate dimensions, and different things like that. Quasi-science stuff. Yes. <laughs> and the other is just forgetting. The other is just having unreliable memories, which yeah. is what the show is about. Which is kind of science stuff, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just not nearly as technical. So, on the subject of memories, though, Carrie clearly has a bad feeling around the eye. She should have a memory of him. They have a past that we know of. That The eye, when he was Walter, was friends with... Carrie and Melanie and Oliver. And he shot her. Yeah. And he shot her later. So she definitely has a memory of him, but she doesn't seem to have the exact memory. She just has this unsettled feeling. But I do think that the I and Carrie clearly have some greater relationship, specifically because the I calls Carrie my love, in addition to some other creepy things, and then he zips her up, which was kind of a... It's kind of a fake out. He looked like he's reaching to do something kind of like sexual assault, yeah. but then he zips her up, which is the like the opposite of what you'd think if that's mm-hmm. what he's going to do. Which, again, makes me think they might have had some sort of romantic relationship. It's weird now, but at the time, if female Carrie was 18 or whatever, and Walter was around the same age... And yeah, she, she ages has... slower, yeah. Exactly, so... They could have really had something there. Yeah, my love is odd. It's not a generic expression of calling her attractive or like, oh, you're, you sure are cute or something like that. It was more familiar. You're yeah, right. Yeah. It was something else. And that raises an interesting question. The devil himself slash herself brings up the issue of love and what it all means. And there's just neurons in the brain and, and chemicals. None and of this yeah. matters. And what are you all doing? You're trying to... Why? She just doesn't get it. She also mentions that the eye understands power. Walter understands power. Which might explain why Lenny alludes to the fact that he's letting these different personalities kind of do their thing to kind of so they can be happy-ish in their suspended state so that he can do his thing without interference. And apparently keeping them a little happy is part of his plan, although he then expresses how it's not really working. Just forget about it. You know, this isn't working the way I wanted it to. I thought if I kept you happy, blah, 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 but, you know, all this love and these people messing with your head, it's just not working right. So there's this sort of dichotomy of human nature and about what matters, and I, th- I wonder if it's if we're heading towards some sort of bigger conclusion as to the nature of the devil with yellow eyes and, and what he's all about, or she's all about. It's also interesting to think how the devil seems obsessed with power. You know, wants to compete with God. Where David just wants to get a room with Sid. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, he's just content. Just the difference in the ambition levels. You know, when you have someone with this great power, and they just want to have a simple, fun life, you know, no big deal. But someone has a superpower, and they have ambitions, that's more dangerous. And it makes me kind of wonder, what exactly is the devil's ambitions? Let's say that he could, like shed himself of David, holding him back, if you will. Yeah. Then what? What would he do? You know what I mean? Does he want to, like, rule all humans? Is he trying to, like, launch all the nuclear weapons? Is he want to become... kill everyone. He wants funguses yeah. to grow out of all the brains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because that was something he sort of... Im- he was talking about love. That's what his thought of love was, right? Yeah, was love to is that spread fun. these yeah. spores to everyone. But I wonder if he wants to spread his spores to everyone. Does that make sense? If he wants to take over more people's minds... And if so, to what end? I don't know. It's just, I, I always am curious about the motivations of villains. Well, you, as you said there, that's, a, that's supported, sort of, by what the devil said to David in that scene right before they kind of merge again in the therapy room. She says to him, at first, I was just going to poison you and move on. But then I thought, your power, my power, together, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, You're more powerful than I thought. We have the potential to give God a run for his money. Which is like, whoa. God, <laughs> holy crap, like, gee, how powerful exactly are you? Yeah. <laughs> and But the whole idea, but then she says, I don't really need you. I just need your body, not your mind, after all. So To me, on a certain level, that's almost comforting. The idea that someone wants to compete with God, because, man, there are a lot of other stars and planets out there. <laughs> I feel like they... 
he might not even mess around with anyone on Earth. If he's if you're trying to compete with God, you got a lot of other things to worry about. You know what I mean? <laughs> we only have to worry if he wins. These squabbles of humans on Earth are guess, so insignificant. I guess the Guardians of the Galaxy have to worry. Though. Yes, yes. <laughs> Chris Pratt, season two of Legion. <laughs> David. We do learn a couple of other interesting things about the devil here, though. We learn that he knew David's real father and found David despite his father trying to hide him. You know, and he was with him since the womb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really interesting origin tidbits that mm-hmm. are tying this whole picture together. But we also learn something about a previous episode. I think I think there's a pretty crucial hint here. Potentially, it was already pretty much a sure thing that David was mostly being controlled by the devil when he took. Sydney to the astral plane room. Yeah. But in this scene, Lenny brings up how love is just electrons in the brain sending signals, which is exactly what the so-called David said in the previous episode to Sid. He says, what you see in here is just signals, that's all. Impulses sent by nerve endings, electricity in the brain. Mm. So whether that's just showing that the lines are blurred between what they each think or a clue that that was the devil. <laughs> that yeah. might be how he figures it out in his new trapped space, as we see that he's kind of imprisoned. It's almost like Zod from the old Superman movies when they're imprisoned in like a two-dimensional space in kind of blackness. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of flipping and kind of yelling at their imprisonment. You wonder if maybe if Oliver doesn't get him out, because that's certainly who's rescuing everybody else right now, maybe David's will have that realization that this is all in my mind and that will enable mm-hmm. him to fight against what he thinks is a prison. Another thing that might trigger something is David gets angry. In the past, usually his powers manifest when he sort of loses emotional control, usually negatively. And so far here, everything's nice and happy, right? Except for the sister, except for Amy taking his pie. What's up with that? I don't know. That's like a danger to... That's maybe another clue that Amy is doing what she shouldn't do to help break David out of this. Yeah, I was just... That's a really good point, Sean, because it's not just... It's not really something about him. It's when other people that he cares about are threatened. That's when his powers... That's the first time we saw him use his powers in control. The guy that to teleport in front of the truck and then move it out of the way was when Sid and his other friends were in big danger. And that's what gave him the control, apparently. So uh, a threat to himself probably isn't strong enough, but a threat to people he cares about, that might, you know, snap him out of it, maybe. We've also seen him use his powers without control (laughs) when he was threatened, right? Like when he was being interviewed and he was starting to get upset. Mm -hmm. You know, no one close to him was being threatened, but at first, like, the pen's rattling on a table and eventually, (laughs) like, flips the table, knocks everyone back, so... That's true. Or when he transports the... uh memory machine yeah outside yeah mri machine yeah you're right that's a good call forgot about that another thing that's firming up in my mind as we talk through this episode it's definitely opposite day (laughs) (laughs) oh definitely definitely so we see david put into this coffin in the black abyss and we get a really great transition to sydney wearing those headphones which earlier lenny comes across sid and brings her these headphones and says that i've had really good luck with music therapy If you remember, in episode one, Lenny used music therapy. She was wearing those exact headphones Mm -hmm. all the time, and so she gave them to Sid and obviously floated her down the hall to that room. And so let's get into all these visual things. Yeah, I think this was really cleverly done because Sid is the one who seems to be the most aware of what's going on. She's sort of the weak point from the devil's point of view, like the one that's most likely to expose this charade. So maybe she needs a little extra attention. Give her the music therapy, keep her calm, keep her from doing, keep her sedated. That's the whole thing. Like you said, don't let them get angry. That's the most important thing. Don't let them feel threatened or angry, except Carrie's being threatened by the eye, but mm-hmm. maybe Carrie isn't quite as important as David or Sid as far as the devil's concerned, I'm not sure. That did seem to be their big concern in the scene I was talking about when they were interviewing David in the first episode. Just don't let him get upset. They did everything they could to calm him down. I, I even wonder if that's part of why those technicians that came in were wearing pink. It was a less threatening color, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I still wonder about those pink hats. <laughs> so we see this cut to Sid sleeping with her headphones. And the diver appears. But then it's a twist because it's actually Carrie, not Oliver, which is what probably everyone was expecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all thought it was Oliver coming to rescue another one. But no, it's (laughs) Carrie. How about that? So that's (laughs) cool. So Carrie and Oliver have been doing something off screen together. He's explained something to him. They've conferred. Visual elements. We like to highlight the transitions in general here. So let's go through some of the most noteworthy ones, I think. 
one of the best ones was the first one, the transition from Lenny walking after the therapy session to Sid walking in the hallway, and then you get the Legion title right there, which I love a good title placement. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> Another transition was from the sort of dream sequence that Carrie was going through. He's like laying in his bed with the ice cube coming down to suddenly he's standing up and the bed is upright behind him and he's in the astral plane. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, we also have Melanie stepping through the wall, which was kind of had some similar elements to it because they're both going to the astral plane. So there's some of these similar visual qualities to the the way the astral plane looks, especially when the astral plane and reality seem to kind of come together. I really liked that weird squishy wall texture. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I remember paying particular attention the second time I watched it to the how the wall physically looked and as she touched it and as her hands sunk into it, just quite how they did that. I, I sort of decided they just found some material that looks flat like maybe concrete or plaster or paint or whatever but really is mushy i'm sure they had to mix up some special effects too to get her when the light goes and her whole body goes in but i appreciate the effort that had to go in to create that effect i i want to give them credit for that yeah definitely i think the most visually spectacular scene in the episode was that lenny dance sequence though where you see her lit in red dancing through his memories which are like kind of a smear across the blackness and yeah and it flares of red you know yeah. just the the effects they use it was almost like a music video That's you know exactly yeah. what I was gonna say it was a music video yeah I mean they did the whole song right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. I while we're saying that by the way I just want to point out how the show is a neat experience I've said this in the past and each episode is pretty distinct from each other one too the this whole clockworks setting and in this music video thrown in stands out a lot from other episodes where it was almost like a horror the, this is the horror episode you know it's a, a neat range of styles being presented to us <laughs> here's a few random visuals that caught our eye that don't require a whole lot of explanation just kind of a series of cool things that we noticed there is the hand holding on the table in the room with lenny sorry dr busker meets with them it's very similar to the handshake between melanie and david at the end of episode one yeah, very similar. And then we have kind of a sneaky thing, which is in the Carrie and Carrie ping pong match. At first, there's no ball. It reminds and, me of the no feet thing. Yeah, and then Sid mm. takes her pill, though, and then there is a ball. Whether uh, that is connected, I don't know. Yeah, really curious. Also, there's a uh, Twizzler barrette on Melanie's head there in that first scene. More of the Twizzler uh, thing getting in there. And that was an unusual thing, because all the other Twizzlers were a part of David or Lenny. Now... It's spreading, which kind of, I think, was a clue that this whole thing is the devil's creation. There's plenty more clues for that, but that was one of the first clues for it. Yeah, and later she seems to have, like, a blue one on the other side. They're definitely Twizzler-looking. I imagine they aren't real Twizzlers. (laughs) (laughs) If they are, I need a Twizzler barrette. Even though I don't wear barrettes. I just need one anyway. You wear it in your beard. (laughs) I think one of the most outstanding clues there is the pill light on the wall. Just the giant pill light. What hospital would ever have that? I'm here for your pills. (laughs) Maybe they all have that. Maybe it's authentic. The pills in, in general, I don't know a lot about, like advanced medicine, but these pills seem kind of stylized. I don't yeah. know about this green triangle with the three numbers on it. And the, yeah, that seems like they made these pills kind of... Uh, fancy. Fancy, yeah. There was a movement last year for pharmaceutical companies to hire art directors. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to bling out our pills. That's how you sell more pills. Make them look cool. Market them to kids. <laughs> That's how you justify charging $30 for one. That's right. <laughs> I do always love those macro shots of the pills in the little cup that they show. They had it in episode one as well. Mm-hmm. We also have the beating, bleeding wall, which was really pretty gross, but also very powerful. It's also neat how Dr. Busker didn't seem to notice it or bring any attention to it. And Sid didn't even seem worried about it either. Like, she saw this on the wall, clearly was intrigued, touched it, blood came in, she was like slightly freaked out. And then here comes Arby Plaza, doesn't say anything about it. Sid doesn't say, mm-hmm. say anything about yeah. it. I, you know, I can't decide if it was really supposed to be there, if it's just in Sid's mind, if Lenny wanted Sid to think it was just in her mind, so she didn't say anything yeah, about don't it. don't draw any attention yeah. to it, because yeah. just keep everything peaceful. Just put don't, these headphones yeah, on and listen just, to this music. Yeah. Yeah. Forget the bleeding wall. Just listen <laughs> yeah. to these crickets. <laughs> Fandomedia.reviews. And then, of course, we also had that scene with Sid floating through the halls, which was also really well filmed. So that reminds me, by the way, that that was a neat scene as she the as the music kind of takes over and she closes her eyes and kind of lays back and floats down the hallway. 
she goes through a doorway onto a bed. If the camera angle for that scene had been different, if the camera had been beneath that bed, that door would have opened, she would have come in, and we wouldn't have seen her feet on the ground. Yeah. Just like in the scenes we saw before, oh, where someone point. came into a room, and it, we didn't see their feet on the ground. I don't know if it's just a stylish thing they're doing, or if it's meant to somehow represent these moments when they're in the rooms, they aren't really themselves, or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. But We also have the not only the fast-growing plants that we mentioned earlier that Melanie was tending, but the plant guy. The yeah. guy standing in the background that was in the original clockwork scenes covered in plants and hanging out in the corner amongst the shrubbery or whatever. That guy's still around. So that guy's kind of an ongoing little mini mystery. We don't know what the deal with him is, but he's there's something going on there. And then back at David's house, I say with quotation marks, (laughs) we have the slow-moving bullets, which are really awesome looking, and the really awesome looking eyes on the wall. Yeah. We mentioned... A few episodes ago, the costuming and how in Clockworks, the different colors correspond to their danger level. That white means that they're, you know, placid and not super concerning. Yellow means they could be an issue at some point, And red means that they're dangerous or erratic. And so here we see the characters costumed. And my question is, who decided what colors they would be in? Is this a devil choice? Is this how the devil perceives them? Is this how David perceives them? Is this Mm. how they truly are? I tend to think the devil, based on what they all are, which we're going to go into right now. Yeah, Melanie being in red as one of the more dangerous ones is the peculiarest. Or that probably speaks to your idea that it's the devil in charge of these designations, at least at this time. Maybe not the first time, Clockworks Episode 1, but this time, yes. Patanabe in red would also fit with that because he's the memory expert, so you'd think that that would signal him as perhaps a danger to figuring this whole thing out. He also tends to be usually cool-headed, if you will, right? So having him be red seems a little unusual. Yeah. And then we see Carrie, male Carrie, is in like kind of a red striped jacket, but he also wears a yellow shirt later, so I'm not sure if he has a particular color that is associated with him. Maybe it is yellow. I'm not sure, but female Carrie is in white, which also stands out because I tend to think of her as dangerous in the real world she is physically dangerous she's a badass but she's looking for trouble right she doesn't seem to have even that aggressiveness so that maybe explains why she's in white here opposite day again (laughs) again yep there you go but the eye is in red which makes perfect sense that not only would the devil consider the eye a threat but that the eye in reality is a threat yeah david himself is in yellow and sid is in white which is particularly peculiar because sid if the devil is the one doing the designations, then this one doesn't fit very well. Because Sid is the one most aware of what's going on. So It, it could just be that the devil has underestimated Sid. And that is his failing. And he thought mm. that she was just nothing to worry about. As it turned out, she was something to worry about. So he had to go put her away in the room. In any case, this pattern isn't quite clear. We also have another little interesting bit of costuming, I guess. Which is Carrie's rainbow scarf that he has. Which draws back to the rainbow motif that is common for... X-Men and that we see in Summerland. Something that is just now occurring to me, I wonder if that's some hint that Carrie is gay. And mm-hmm. I also wonder along that line if maybe the eye is gay. Maybe the two of them had a relationship in the huh. past. Remember how the eye was almost offended at this questioning the whether he's a bi. man. <laughs> right, maybe bi, right? But one or the other, you remember spelled B E Y E. But remember how uh, Lenny was kind of questioning him about his slow development as a kid. He's like, am I any less of a man now? You know, I wonder if Mm -hmm. there's something there. I think that's a great idea that if there was a romance between the eye and female Carrie, it's entirely likely that there might have been one between the eye and male Carrie, except for the idea that we don't know how big of an age gap there was at that point. Yeah. Well, I'm maybe wondering if it was just a relationship between male Carrie and the eye. And maybe female Carrie got mixed up in it some way. Because they're but... one person, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you like this guy? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a solid theory. I like it. Audio elements. As we talked about in this episode, there is basically a full music video, <laughs> which was great. And really, this show has been having a lot of featured music. Maybe not full music video style like this one. Except but for pretty the Vice close. song. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, there is pretty much full music video prior to this one. This one was a little more done like music video. But they, yeah. long scenes where like an almost a whole song or a whole song plays. It's really well done. And it's something to come to expect. I'm like, wonder what the, the big song this episode or multiple hmm. songs will be this episode. 
episode. It's really become a part of the show, something I really like. You two are both really focused on visual stuff. It's some sort, sort of where your mind goes. And I, as, you know, I have a music degree, that's my background, so I naturally focus more on the audio stuff, and that part of that works out well for us as a group, that we have all these things covered. But for me, I really look forward to a lot of what the show is doing now, because I've come to have some expectations. I'm, I know that almost every episode, if not every episode, there's going to be, like, one of these music video type things with a song that's really good, that's really well chosen, that fits the moment really well, and it just changes up the dynamic of the show. You've got like conversations and dialogue and you've got thought, and all of a sudden it's like this interlude where it's something else, and then you come back to it. I like the change of pace a lot. I think pacing matters a lot, and this show does a lot to break up the pacing, to change it, and then, you know, to show you different looks. There are a lot of ways a filmmaker can get a certain reaction convey a message, set a tone, so on and so on. One way is with pacing, one way is with music. Even moments that aren't a music video per se, the music still has a big influence on how you perceive the scene, how you remember it, the emotions you feel that go along with it. I mean, it's part of filmmaking. It's if you study film in school, audio elements are part of it. We're covering it in every episode and they're doing awesome with it. Yeah, they're they're going farther than most shows would with both visual and audio elements, and it's just great. We mentioned in a previous episode listening to the original soundtrack, and I had mentioned at the time that I thought my favorite was the Clockworks theme. In this episode, we got to actually hear one of the songs that we hadn't heard before, which was Choirs and Crickets. That's the song when Sid is sent to sleep, with the crickets, obviously. And it really shows me how much seeing something visually and knowing what it pertained to can change your appreciation of a song. Mm -hmm. Because... Now that's a serious contender for my favorite from the, <laughs> from the soundtrack. It was really good and beautiful, and I've listened to it a bunch of times since Wednesday. And with the song Feeling Good, the Bass Nectar remix by Nina Simone, that, the lyrics actually are really on point, too. It's <laughs> yeah. not just a song that fits really well in terms of its mood, but the words, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me, they're all in clockworks. It's, she's kind of taken over again. The devil's kind of taken over David again. Like, and got she's control. trashing his memories again. Yeah. And then we have the ending song for the credits is Oh You Pretty Things by Lisa Hannigan, which is a cover of David Bowie. And this also has really relevant lyrics. You gotta make way for the homo superior. They're the start of a coming race. Which is mutants. That's, That's exactly. what the X-Men are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, it's perfect. So another thing that I noticed in this episode... Maybe not a featured song, but music in the background and clockworks. Sometimes I couldn't decide if it was the background music that the show was playing or background music that was being played in clockworks. <laughs> but at least two or three different scenes, it was, I don't know how to describe it, but sort of jazz isn't quite the word, but you know, old timey, big band sort of music. <laughs> but it was just warped, it had this warped sound, mm. like it wasn't at being played at the right speed. You know, and uh, it was reminiscent to me, maybe, of something that Oliver might have listened to, <laughs> especially because the, the dissonant song that we heard him listening to. But that one wasn't being played in a weird way. I was just detecting music in the background of Clockworks. It was not correct. Like the audio was off. Like something, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know, like an old tape player that had been stretched or something like that, uh -huh. you know. And I didn't know if that was maybe part of the cracks in this reality that the music wasn't playing right or if maybe that was. Oliver trying to come through. I'm not sure, but it definitely stood out to me. Another thing that stood out to me, once again, not just music or sound, but lack of music or sound. You remember last episode how they got to the house, if you will, that David brought Amy to, and suddenly they just couldn't hear. I couldn't help but notice how this time when Oliver brings them into the astral plane, he's like, you know, finger to the lips, shh, be quiet. You know, telling Melanie, don't talk. When... Carrie gets to sit, finger to the mouth, shh, quiet. You know, mm -hmm. I wonder if, I don't know how connected that moment of silence from the last episode is to this one. Meta elements. A couple of quick notes and references and influences. Of course, we talked about the music already, and that obviously, those references are obviously important. But we also have a, a reference to Marmaduke, <laughs> of all things here, the comic. Yeah, 20,000 leagues under the sea, which makes some sense. That scene where Tonomy was under the table, like, it's a memory of him as a boy, but he's fully grown under the table. That was straight out of Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind. Yeah. We also had 99 Luff Balloons mentioned. And another song reference. And Little Red Riding Hood, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the eye is the big bad wolf. Yeah. Big Bad Wolf has new theme music in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and this episode was written by Nathaniel Hallperrin, 
who also wrote episode four, and this was directed by Hiro Murai of Atlanta, which is one of our favorite shows, one of the best shows that you should be watching, also on FX, and also a very surreal show, and so I think he's a perfect fit for Legion. Yeah, not as surreal as this show, but <laughs> definitely surreal. <laughs> Hero did a lot of music videos for Donald Glover. Also true, so the Lenny sequence was also right up his alley. Yes, mm. and and in fact, that's a, a good harvesting ground for filmmakers is music video makers. And this episode and Hero in general maybe have a very similar to David Lynch style. Some very standout colors, some very broad shots, some lingering moments. I like that style. And... I also, again, I'm sure if I went back to the beginning, would see it more. But last episode, I started recognizing how much of a comic feel they seem to put on the show. That was definitely here. And sometimes almost to a Tim Burtonish style. You know, it's a borderline cartoonish imagery sometimes. Yeah. Lenny sure looks like a Tim Burton character. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. very yeah. true. I think the comic feel also comes through in the fact that we get a significant amount of exposition. One thing that's true with comics that's less true with other forms of fiction is that there's more explanations. People, they, they, they tend to want to have, they don't like to leave things unsettled. And if there's going to be a remaining mystery, that's because the plot's going to go in that direction later. So we get a lot of explaining the astral plane, explaining some of these powers, things like that. That, to me, is part of the comic aspect. Certainly not a negative thing, but it's certainly something I noticed. We've got the typical villainous monologue where they explain a lot of their motivations mm -hmm. or history with the protagonist. Yes, it's very comic booky. Maybe explain a lot, but not enough. Not I'm still enough. curious. Yeah, there's still two episodes <laughs> left. we got more to go. Final thoughts. Get into our favorite moments. What was, what was yours, Ash? Definitely 100% the Lenny Dance sequence. <laughs> Not only do I love that song and the remix, but I love Aubrey Plaza. I love the filmmaking that they used there. I love the idea that Lenny just does this all the time. The devil just parties through his memories and has done this maybe five, six, seven times. You know, oh. he could have wiped out his memories a bunch of times. Maybe just way more than that, you know, yeah. over the years. Like recently, I agree, but it could be over the over the course of the years. You know, for 30 years, like this could be like really regular. That's why it's a, that's why she's so good at dancing. That's why yeah. the video's so good. She's got a lot of practice. What about you, Aziz? My favorite was definitely, I'm sensing a lot of hostility, and then it cuts to the eye. I just, I almost fell out of my chair. That was so funny. I love that yeah, moment. With that shrug, it's... Yeah, yeah. he's like... Mm. <laughs> Sean, what about you? I have a hard time picking just one moment. I, I love the whole opening sequence where Lenny's questioning the different characters and it transitions through them all. Yeah. And the dance scene also. I uh, There's yeah. too many to pick from. It was, it was a really great episode. Fandomedia.reviews. That's all for episode 20, folks. Thanks for joining us for our continuing Legion coverage. Only two episodes left. We hope you'll join us for the exciting conclusions. And it's been renewed, so you can expect us to cover season two whenever that rolls around as well. We can't assume it'll be this time next year, but we hope it will be sooner rather than later. Hopefully it'll be in about three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, season two will start immediately after season one. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Pafanami Wallace. I'm the fan. And you've been listening to the Astral Fandomedia Podcast. <laughs>